guys can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Trevor Knox. I serve here on staff as the executive ministry director. All you need to know about me is uh, I love the Lord. I was born in this church. I was not born here. I was born, was born, in, born again here. Come on, somebody. I was saved in this church. I was baptized in this church. I was married in this church. I love this church. If you are a new guest here today, can we just give it up for the new guests? Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoy the service from the parking lot to the pulpit, we would love for you to fill out one of those connect cards on the chair in front of you. And if you're not new, can we give it up for you too? Here's why. You beat it. You rolled out of your turkey coma. You beat the holiday hangover. And you said, I'm coming to church today where today is statistically the least attended church all across America on the calendar. That Sunday after Thanksgiving is the least of it. You made it. Come on. And now you get to listen to me yell at you for at least 30 minutes. Come on, somebody. There we go. I'm so proud of you for being here. And I'm very excited. Normally, I like to start my sermons anytime I get the honor to preach God's word with some praise. If you can't tell, I love praising. Can we just give it up for the Lord one more time? This is the whole sermon. I'm just going to yell things and you're like, yeah, that's it. That's all we're doing today. No, I'm excited today because we are starting a brand new series called Vintage Christmas. We're going to learn all about the true meaning of Christmas. Do we love Christmas here? Yes. Give me that hat, dude. Give me that. Come on. I said, do we love Christmas here? Yes. Can I get a Merry Christmas? Yes. Hey, turn to your neighbor and say Merry Christmas. There we go. We're getting in the mood. It's time. The turkey time is over. We are going to be saying Merry Christmas all the way until January 1st, which is too long, but we're going to do it anyway, okay? I love Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Let's go. Jingle all the way. And you know what I don't like? Happy holidays. We are not a happy holiday church, okay? We are not a happy holiday church. Here's why. Because today, anything can be a holiday. Have you been on Instagram? There are so many fake holidays that people are just making up. So if I tell you happy holidays, I don't know what I'm actually saying. I could offend you. I'm like, happy holidays. They're like, for what? Is it National Punch Your Grandmother Day? I'm like, no. <laughs> it's easier to say Merry Christmas because that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating Merry Christmas. There are too many fake holidays out there. If you don't believe me, get ready because next week we get to celebrate National Brownie Day. Come on. <laughs> on December 8th. hey yo, that's exactly what I need. Exactly what I need coming off Thanksgiving is brownies, right? Yeah, I definitely didn't go up a pant size already this year, right? We don't need, yeah, maybe we do. National Brownie Day, happy National Brownie Day. If you wanna keep celebrating, the next day is National Llama Day. I don't even know what to do with that. But if you have a llama, I am feeling festive. I would love to, I would love to join part, save the drama for you llama. Shout out to the Emperor's New Groove. And then we're going to go straight into December 17th, which is, get ready, National Maple Syrup Day. Shout out to Canada, if you know what I'm talking about. And look, look how it lined up, okay? December 17th, it's not only National Maple Syrup Day, it's also Baptism Sunday. That's right. Get ready to be dunked in some maple-y goodness. That's a workout. It's very viscous. It's hard to get them in and out, but we're going to do it. Hey, for the record, in this picture, if you've seen it, me and Ethan are choke slamming my, my homie Angel who got baptized last time. Um, he asked us to do that. <laughs> 
Some of y'all were like, why did they just pick him up? And no, he wanted us to choke slam the hell out of him. And we did. Hallelujah. Holla back. So yeah, anything can be a holiday now. And look, as much as I want to ride my llama into National Maple Syrup Day, none of these holidays bring us together. Okay, National Brownie Day might bring us together, but not for a good reason, okay? As Christians, there is only one holiday that signifies the real reason we should be celebrating, and that's Easter. But I love Christmas, okay? I love Christmas too. And I think as we have gone along with American culture, we have lost the true meaning of Christmas. So that's what this series is designed to, to help you with, okay? So I'll be preaching today. Pastor Byron's gonna be preaching the next three weeks as we're gonna learn all about the real meaning of Christmas. This title is called Vintage Christmas, Come On. We're gonna talk about why Christmas should be celebrated by Christians over the next few weeks. Uh, the true meaning of Christmas, why it's so important, and can you guess what it is? Okay, we wanna get away from the consumerism. We wanna get away from the marketing, away from the greed, away from the Hallmark TV specials, away from the lie that Christmas is only about what gifts we give and what gifts we receive. We wanna get back to the basics and that is just Jesus. Just Jesus, amen? Amen. And I know, I can feel it in the room. You're like, but I really want that PlayStation 5. (laughs) I get it. I get it. I know. I'm a big fan of sneakers. Okay, I wear a size 10. All right, big fan of sneakers. I want gifts too. But it's not about, it's not about the gifts. Okay, it's not about the gift cards. It's not about the the Lululemons. I don't even know what that is. It's not about that. It is and always has been in all recorded history been about Jesus. Amen. Can we give a shout of praise for the Lord? I told you I would do that every time. Let's go, let's go, let's go. But I was not always a Christmas person, okay? But I love gifts, right? Nowadays, my wife has kind of converted me where as soon as Black Friday hits, my eyes open. Mariah Carey's playing. I'm chasing her around with mistletoe in an elf costume, okay? I love Christmas now and I love gifts, but it's not about the gifts. It's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. As I was writing this sermon, I was thinking, what is the best gift I ever received as a kid? What was my favorite Christmas memory? And then this popped up. I remember when I was about seven or eight years old, we grew up fairly poor on food stamps in a beat up rent house, but my dad always made Christmas happen. Probably some like shady illegal side business. I don't know how, (laughs) but I didn't care. I wanted a bike. Okay, I wanted a bike. Me and my brothers, we just wanted a bike for Christmas. So Christmas Eve comes around. My dad is working late at night. He calls my mom. He says, babe, get the kids ready. I'm on the way home and I got a gift, a Christmas Eve gift. And me and my bros are like, here it comes. I hope it's a Ninja Turtle one. I can't wait. We're going to be zooming past all of our neighbors, right? They're going to be so jealous. I get to take off the training wheels. It's going to be amazing. So we're ready for my dad to get home. He walks in the door and he smells like booze, which is normal, but he also smells like farm, which is not normal. (laughs) He has a baby goat in his hand. Okay, he had a few brews in him, but (laughs) that was a a great goat. Thank you so much. (laughs) He's got a a white baby goat. We name him Clarence, and he tells my mom, babe, we got a goat. My mom's like, why? Why do we have a goat? And me and my brothers are looking at each other like, we got a goat. We became that family in the random neighborhood who had like 10 goats in the back of their house. Okay, That was my favorite Christmas gift because we were the goat people from then on and that was awesome. I loved it. But you see, 
I had to really rack my brain on what my favorite Christmas memory was because most of the time we kind of forget what we got in the first place. Okay, usually I get socks, I think. Okay, it's very easy to forget what's happened, what, what gifts you're receiving as the years go on. But the greatest gift we've ever received is one that you won't forget. The greatest gift we've ever received is it money or a boat or a goat. The greatest gift we've ever received is hope. The greatest gift we've ever received happened 2,000 years ago because the greatest gift we've ever received is Jesus. And look, it didn't start around a Christmas tree. It didn't start with a parade in New York City. It didn't start with some amazing deals on Amazon. It started in a lowly place. It started in a dirty old manger with farm animals. Shout out to goats. With a young, humble woman named Mary who had a servant's heart who would go on to aid in turning our world completely upside down as we know it forever. If you have your Bibles, please open up with me to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, as we get back to the basics of what Christmas means by looking back at the setup for the very first Christmas ever. This is where we would learn that we are about to receive our greatest gift. Our greatest gift is Jesus. So chapter 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Hey, pause, that's probably terrifying. You're in your room and an angel comes to visit you. Okay, there's a reason she was concerned. Angels can be pretty scary if you've actually looked into what they really look like. It's not a baby in a diaper, okay? <laughs> Sometimes it's a being of light with thousands of eyes and wings. We don't know what kind of angel Gabriel was. So, so uh, be there with Mary. She was concerned at the time. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Sir, this is the most terrifying moment of my life. <laughs> For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him to the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how would this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God, amen? And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So let's take a moment to reflect on the fact that this is the setup for the very first Christmas ever. There is no tree. There is no lights. There are no gifts wrapped. But this is a setting that will welcome the savior of the universe into our world. There is no grand stage. It's not a royal setting. This is a lowly place for animals, shepherds. Where we would look for a tree, there is hay. Where we would look for lights, there is dust. And where we would gather as a family for Christmas dinner, there is dirt. And who is trusted to give birth to the King of kings and the Lord of lords? There is no queen. It's an impoverished teenager. There is no royal figure. There is a young and humble virgin woman with a servant heart. Mary was from a very small, low-income uh, low community with nothing to her name, but God trusted her to be the model for us to follow. Her identity isn't defined by what she owns or where she's from or what her social status is or what she can give, but rather it's defined by her willingness to say, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
Her identity is defined by a life-changing encounter with the Lord. I think we can all relate, amen? It defined, it's defined by her testimony and it's defined by her obedience to follow through with humility and honesty. It isn't defined by what she can give, but what she will receive. Mary is a model for us to follow, which is a great gift for all of us, amen? What a great gift. This is a gift for us to look to and learn from, to model our lives after, but it's not the greatest gift. Mary and Joseph aren't the greatest gift and they are not the giver of gifts. They're just like us. They're recipients of the greatest gift. We all know Christmas, it's time. Wrap the gifts. We're gonna be giving some Christmas gifts out. We get to give away, okay? Every year my wife takes her Christmas bonus. I see it and I'm like, babe, we made the big time. Come on. And then she goes and buys gifts for everyone else. (laughs) So on one hand, I'm like, my wife is such a good giver, praise God. And then on the other hand, I'm like, my wife is such a good giver, please God. (laughs) My wife is a great gift giver, but she's not the greatest gift giver. Mary was a great giver, not the greatest. The story has never been about giving gifts. It's about how we as believers have already received the greatest gift. Because in that dirty old manger covered in dirt and dust, we received something you can never purchase. We received hope. We received salvation. We received a purpose and a path to follow that wasn't available to us before. We received the greatest gift, Jesus. So over these next few weeks, take a step back from the consumerism. Take a step back from Christmas as you know it. Because we celebrate Christmas because Jesus is who he says he was. We celebrate Christmas because there's a Lord who is worthy of celebration. Amen. Amen. So let's outline the four reasons why Christians celebrate Christmas, which are also the four reasons why Jesus is our greatest gift. Number one, we celebrate Christmas because Jesus is our Savior our savior. The angel told Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now the name Jesus actually means Yeshua or we translate it to Joshua, which literally means savior. But who has Jesus saved us from? Is it our enemies? Is it Satan? Is it ourselves? Yes. Yes. The answer is all of the above. He saves us from ourselves. But in order to understand how Jesus has saved us, we have to understand the true nature of the world that we live in and the true nature of ourselves. We must understand the desperate nature of this world. And that is we are born and we live in sin. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. It started in the Garden of Eden, and it still defines our reality today. We are born in sin. The world's cruelties are because of sin. And this sin leads only to death and an eternal separation from God. There is nothing we can do to erase this. There is no amount of work we can do in order to pay this debt. We are a people in desperate need of rescue. So what did God do? He sent himself as a sacrifice, lived the life we could never live and died the death we all deserve. He paid the debt on the cross and made it known that the only way to true salvation is through faith in him. Without Jesus, we are slaves to our own sins and desires. But because of the finished work on the cross, we have been chosen and are raised to a life we don't deserve because Jesus is our savior and our savior has already paid the debt. He saves us from death by giving us eternal life. He saves us from sin through his forgiveness. He saves us from God's righteous punishment by justifying us with his blood. He saves us from Satan who deceives us. He saves us from the degradation of the world around you by setting us apart and by empowering and sanctifying us. 
but we worship the God who not only saves us from something, but he also saves us for something. Everything God does has a purpose. He saved us for the sake of having a relationship with him. He saved us because he loves us as our savior. He is our high priest. He's our high priest, which means his ministry did not end on the cross and he is still ministering to us to this day through his Holy Spirit because he cares about us and he cares about every single detail of your life down to the last hair on your head. I used to struggle this with this whenever I first got saved. I was saved five years ago. And uh, when I first experienced salvation, I started wrestling with how, how could God actually care about me, right? And I'm not trying to be down on myself. I'm just saying there's a lot of problems in the world, a lot bigger issues than what my seemingly insignificant life has to offer. Why would he care about me? Found some mentorship, started reading and praying. I found First Peter that we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt us, casting all of our anxieties on him because he, what, cares for us. When we understand that Jesus is our high priest, we understand he has saved us because he cares for us. He loves us affectionately, tenderly, and personally. He gives us a new life because he cares. He gives us a path forward because he cares. And you are at church this morning because he cares. Jesus is to be worshiped as our savior, amen? He is also to be worshiped as our Lord. Number two, Jesus is our Lord. If we look to the Old Testament, we know that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that were written. The prophecies that a king and a Messiah would one day come to rescue us. This is all the Old Testament is pointing to. Okay, once you start reading it in completion, you start praying through it, you realize everything in the Old Testament points to the coming Messiah. That is Jesus Christ. He is our savior, but he is also our Lord. So generally speaking, when you think of the word Lord, The Lord is someone with authority, control, or power over others. So to say that someone is Lord is to consider that person a master or ruler of some kind. Whenever we pray today, what do we say? Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. But we cannot have Jesus as our Lord by name alone. So for Jesus to truly be the Lord of our lives, we have to surrender to his way over our way over our desires, over our wants, our needs, over our ambitions, over our anxiety, over our depression, over our families, over our jobs, over the entirety of our lives. Okay, Mary immediately states what? That she is a servant of the Lord and let his will be done. But people have a problem with that word nowadays. Okay, you hear the word submission. What do they say? Sheep or slave or you're brainwashed. But I have news for you. Every single one of us is a slave to something. Every single one of us worships something. Whether you realize it or not, whether you're secular or you're Christian, you're a part of any religion, everybody worships something. And sometimes it's obvious. Okay, somebody, sometimes some people are caught up in addiction. What are they worshiping? Okay, so uh, people where it's not as obvious. Some parents worship their children. They idolize their kids and they're putting them before their spouse. Okay, and you're breaking the order that God has designed. Okay, we are all a slave to something, whether it's social media, whether it's pornography for some. Okay, we are, a, we are all a slave to something. What are we surrendering to? That's a reflection of what you're following. Sometimes it gets really dumb and we're following influencers or athletes on Instagram looking for them to make a way for us that our life could be like this. We are surrendering to that ideology. We're surrendering to that way of thinking. But our church stands for one big idea. We all know it. Life changed through. Jesus. Jesus. Amen. But every one of, every single one of you, I can speak for you right now, I hope you agree that our salvation only happens with our surrender. True life change doesn't take place until 
We surrender. This doesn't mean our actions dictate our salvation. Rather, it means our faith should dictate our actions. Without surrender, we are trapped in our sin, trapped in our patterns that separate us from God. Jesus is not just our Savior. He is our Lord. And he gives us a clear yet narrow path for us to follow. But if we want to follow honestly, we must experience this surrender every single day. We must die to ourselves continually. So don't submit to the greed that this time of year can bring or the mindset of consumerism that makes us compare ourselves to others with what gifts we're getting compared to the, to the family next door to us. Instead, rejoice that we can submit to a father who loves us dearly and unites us in a common love for one another. Jesus is our savior who has rescued us. He is our Lord who we must submit to. And number three, he is our king. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus is our king and his kingdom will have no end. Every king must have a kingdom to rule. And John chapter 18, verses 36 through 37 says this. My kingdom is not of this world. This is Jesus' kingdom. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be, li- be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This means that Jesus is the king over all dominions of life, above the angels and demons, above every living thing. He is the king of our reality as we know it. And he commands obedience. Theologian Abraham Kuyper once said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign overall, does not cry, mine. Jesus is king over all things, regardless if you believe or not. Okay, Jesus is a savior to us, to his people. Jesus is a Lord to us, his people who choose to submit. But Jesus is king of all. Regardless if you believe, Jesus is king over every living thing. Everything under our son is all his. We may not have the best examples in our mind, though, whenever we think of the word king. Okay, whenever you think of the word king, it could be similar to the word Lord, where typically kings are painted in a very bad light because they have a lot of power. They can abuse that, and they can manipulate the people under them, right? As king, Jesus chose first to be humbled and then to be humiliated. And in the end, he was glorified. So in order to be elevated, he first had to sink. For his kingdom to be built, he had to be broken. How does the king rule over his people? He washes their feet. How does the king demonstrate his power? He heals the broken. How does this king teach us to fight our battles? On our knees with mercy and forgiveness. We cannot miss this factor. While Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, he must always be revered as our king. He is the king who will return to judge all living things. He is the king who will return and establish his new earthly kingdom. And quite often we refer to Jesus as our friend. He's a friend of sinners, but never lose sight that he is also our king. And he demands that reverence. As Christians, we don't have a personal life. Okay, we have a king who demands every aspect of us. That's our relationships, our convictions, our deepest, darkest secrets. Jesus is king of that. They all belong to him. It's not because he's going to control you. It's because he's going to restore you. He's not going to make you better. He's going to make you new. He's going to restore you. We bring him glory by following his lead. He is our savior. He is our Lord. He is our king. He is our God. 
Amen? Amen. Point number four, Jesus is our God. Verse 35 says, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Jesus is God and none of this happens without the Trinitarian nature of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being in relationship with one another. You see, growing up, I had viewed Jesus as this kind of like mythical, historical figure who was just like, you know, hippie Jesus, he's just a cool guy. Right? And he wants the best for you. Or he was like this moral standard or concept that we should try, we should try to strive for because it'll make the world a better place. Then I got saved. And then I did something crazy. Y'all bear with me. I read the Bible. <laughs> I read the Bible. And guess what? Over and over and over, it is emphatically stated, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is our God we worship. He is our God that will lead us to heaven. He is the God who forgives us our sins. Jesus is God. Not just your Lord, not just your Savior, not just your King. Above all, he is our God. If we look at the account of where this story is in Matthew, God tells Joseph, who is considering divorcing Mary for being pregnant, he says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus is God with us and everything changes. Because before having access to the father was not a normal occurrence. If you look at any other religion, this does not happen. In any other religion, there are gods on a throne and people have to hope and pray that they follow the rules well enough that they might get into heaven one day. But our God sits on the throne and he also sits right beside you. In your greatest moments and in your weakest moments, in the best of times and the darkest of times, Jesus is right with you. Because of Jesus, we not only get to have an everyday relationship with him, but we get to share this joy with each other, amen? Merry Christmas. We get to experience God's glory through his word and through the divine relationships we have with each other. God sent the son to sacrifice himself to take on the full wrath of God, not only to pay for the sins that we have and will commit, but to create relationship with him and us. Merry Christmas. Is that a reason to say Merry Christmas? Can I say Merry Christmas? Ethan, give me that hat. Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas, Jesus loves you. Merry Christmas, he died for your sins. Merry Christmas because the hero died for the villain. Amen. This does not happen anywhere else. Merry Christmas because the Lord loves you and he's proven it over and over again. And all we have to do is submit. Merry Christmas. And here's the beautiful part. We don't have to follow the rules with a prayer that God might forgive us. We get to follow the word because Jesus has already forgiven us. There's no more work to do. There is no more work to do. We accept, we surrender, we follow. And we live that life out with faith, amen? Amen. So earlier I told you guys about my favorite Christmas story, right? I was was trying to prepare the sermon. I'm like, what is my favorite Christmas story? The first thing that pops up is the worst Christmas I ever had. Anybody had a worse Christmas? Those memories stick in your head? Here's my worst Christmas ever. I was 16 years old. It was 2006. Tells you how old I am. It was 2006, and uh, my father had actually passed away in 2001. So my mom got remarried, and then my stepdad got cancer. 
he passed away in 2006. So now we're going into Christmas, and my mom had to pick up a minimum wage job over at Billy Joe's Barbecue. Shout out to Billy Joe's. Important ages. I'm pointing at the camera in case they're watching. Shout out to Billy Joe's. She had to get a minimum wage job in order to pay for the bills and pay for food and just to try to get us by. Now, again, I told you guys, we grew up pretty poor, broken down rent house, food stamps. She has to pull me and my little brother aside and say, hey, finances are tight. Um, We're probably not going to get to do Christmas this year. So just be prepared for that. And I told her, hey, as the man of the house, this will not happen. We are celebrating Christmas, all right? We're going to put the trees up. We're going to put the lights up. I don't care if we can't get gifts. We're going to be together. We're going to celebrate Christmas together because that's what it's about, amen? I had seen the Hallmark movies. I knew what it was about. That's okay. And I said, hey, what if we did this? What if we went to Dollar General and we each bought each other one $5 gift? Okay, I'll buy one for you, mom. Mom, you buy one for Dalton. Dalton, you buy one for me. We'll go and get three gifts and then we'll wrap them. We won't show each other. We'll put them under the tree. And then on Christmas, we'll open them together and we'll still do things the right way because we're not going to be scrooging around. Okay, just because times are tough, we're tough people. We can get through this. Amen? Come on, somebody. So we're ready. We do this. We go and buy our gifts. We put them under the tree. And then Christmas Eve comes around. I'm like, hey, as the man of the house, let's go drive around and look at some Christmas lights. Let's get in the mood. Again, no scrooging around this time. We're going to go see some Christmas lights. We'll come back. And then the next morning, we'll open up our gifts, okay? So we get in the car. We head out to go see some Christmas lights. Uh, We almost run out of gas, so we have to turn around because finances are tough. So we get back. So we got like three blocks, so it's pretty cool. And we <laughs> like, oh, wait, we got to get to work in the morning. So we, we get back to the house, and uh, whenever we get home, I notice our door was kicked in. Like, what's, I run inside as the man of the house. <laughs> I run inside, and I look, and our Christmas tree is mangled and scattered and thrown across the floor. And I look, and our three $5 Christmas gifts were stolen. They got away with a picture frame, a journal, and a two liter of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> this is how I know these guys sucked because uh, it's very obvious what a two liter of Dr. Pepper looks like wrapped, okay? And they're still like, yep, that's mine, okay? <laughs> now at the time, my brother, he was going through a hard time. He was kind of a bad kid at this point. Uh, he was hanging out with a bad crowd. We ended up finding out that it was his friends who got on drugs, kicked our door open and stole all our gifts. So we're all sitting there in the living room. We're looking at the Christmas tree scattered across the floor. I look at my mom and we just start laughing beyond control. We're like, who does this happen to? Who does this happen to? Are you serious? Who does this happen to? My dad already died. My stepdad already died. We're already living in a very impoverished life. We try to do everything we can, but that got taken away. Then my mom started crying. Then we started laughing again because who does this happen to? I looked at my mom. I said, I'm so sorry. And she's just sitting there with tears in her eyes. She's smiling. She says, the enemy has tried to steal everything from us over and over and over. He's not going to take our joy. He is not going to take our joy. I was not a Christian at the time, but she was. She was a prayer warrior. She wasn't going to let that take our joy. And that taught me that day. At first, this is a sad story, but no, it's not. This is not a sad story. 
This is actually a beautiful story of what Christmas is all about, even though I didn't believe at the time. I didn't believe at the time as I'm writing this, I realized, God, you were there with me the entire time. You never left. I didn't even know who you were, but you were with me every step of the way. You never left my mom's side. You never left our side. And that is a reason to celebrate, amen? Amen. The king is alive and there is joy to be had. And it's because the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So redemption, as we reflect on the true meaning of Christmas, remember that Jesus is not just a historical figure in the story of our faith, but he is the reason we gather in celebration. He is our savior who rescued us from the bondage of sin. He is our Lord demanding our submission under his rule. He is our king reigning over all with a kingdom that knows no end. He is our God, the very embodiment of the divine and human form. And with all of his power and holy righteousness, he chooses you to be his people. Merry Christmas. Do not lose sight over the profound simplicity of this. That's a reason to celebrate. He was brought to the world in a humble manger, a servant's heart, and a love that transcends all. And more importantly, he has a willingness to give that love away. And we get to experience that. So cherish your loved ones this holiday season. Cherish your loved ones. Give abundantly and radically. Amen. What does Jesus teach us to do? We give. We are givers. As Christians, inherently, we are givers. Get back to it. That's the root of this. It's not about comparing your list to somebody else's. It's not about not getting the thing you wanted. Size 10. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. He always has been. It's not just for the gifts under the tree, but for the greatest gift of all, and that is the presence and the power of Jesus in our lives. He's the reason for the season, and that will never change now and forever. Amen. So can I get one more Merry Christmas? Come on.